red arms. Give it your all. We'll, we'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girl so they'll not cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack on the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and we're jumping into Chapter 20, Winds Rising. Uh, just a quick recap. Um, we had Elaine and Nynaeve come aboard the Wave Dancer, which is a uh, Seafolk uh, Well, it's a Seafolk Raker specifically, but it's a ship. Um, raker being the type of ship. And try to get passage to Tanchico. And they're having a conversation with the sail mistress and the windfinder of the ship. And they had just made an agreement to go to Tanchico. And then the vehicle, or the vehicle, <laughs> I guess it is a vehicle. The ship lurched, the raker lurched, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they're kind of dashing for the deck up top. And uh, now we're starting with Elaine trying to get the latch off of her chair so she can get out, uh, trying to go after them, and uh, almost ran into Nynaeve at the ladder stairs. Um, the ship was still rocking, but kind of slower, and they're not sure if they're sinking or not, but she pushes Nynaeve ahead of her, making her go faster. And uh, on the deck, the crew's just going around, checking the rigging, looking over the side, looking at the hole, talking about earthquakes, and this, that, and the other. And the dockmen were also saying the same thing. So they haven't even left the docks. They're still where they were. But Elaine knows what's going on. You know, everything tumbling on the piers and ships. And she looks at the stone where the huge fortress was still, except for a bunch of startled birds, you know, swirling about. The pale banner waving almost lazily in an isolated breeze. Nothing looked like it had been touched on that giant fortress of stone. But she's like, that was Rand. Now, unfortunately, from her perspective, we don't know what actually happened. But um, I believe this goes kind of hand in hand with the parents thing where the bell starts like going and they're like, go, 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 go. And I think... Perrin pulling away from Rand was kind of an upsetting type thing. And that's my hypothesis, so to speak. So if you have any thoughts, please let me know. But she looks at Nynaeve, or looks at Nynaeve but Nynaeve is looking at her, and they're like, well, I mean, fine pickling if he damages the ship. How are we supposed to get it to Hanchiko if he just tosses all the ships about? And then she's like really concerned, like, oh, I hope he's all right. I can't do anything if he's... If he's not all right, he's got to be all right. And then he's like, no doubt that second letter of yours touched in her. Because, <laughs> you know, that's man just goes berserk when he reads a letter because that's just how that works. Men always overheat or overreact when their emotions go. And it's the price for holding them in the way they do. He may be the dragon reborn, but he mu he must learn man to woman that. And then he notices like somebody's like, what are, who are they? What, what are they doing here? And there's two men standing amidst the bustling sea folk on the deck. And one was Tom Marilyn in his gleeman's cloak with leather-cased harp and flute on his back and a bundle lying at his feet beside a battered wooden box with a lock. And the other one was a lean, handsome tyrant in his middle years, a hard, dark man wearing a flat, conical straw hat and one of those commoner's coats that fit snugly to the waist, then flared like a short skirt. A, notch a notched sword breaker hung at a belt 
worn over his coat, and he leaned on a pale staff of knobbly, jointed wood exactly his own height and no thicker than his thumb. A square-tied parcel dangled by a loop from his shoulder. And Elaine knew him. His name was Julian Sandar. Now, we know from prior things, from prior chapters and parts with Julian Sandar in them, that the pale staff of knobbly jointed wood is bamboo. So, there you go. Um, conical straw hats is basically like kind of like Spanish conical helmets that they would have. Um, it's interesting, but it's obviously not a, uh, it's a straw hat. It's not a metal hat, not like a conquistador or anything, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's got his own little stuff. The sword breaker, if you remember when we had talked about Huron, uh, the sword breaker has notches in it so you can catch a sword and you can technically break the sword, um, thus sword breaker but it also locks someone's sword in a place where they're open to other things whether it be a dagger another short sword or possibly a bamboo staff or whatever it might be they're open because their one main weapon is disengaged because of the sword breaker so it has its uses and obviously tom with his harp and flute with a bundle and his uh, writing box I don't know why he's taking... Well, I mean, I, I know why he's taking his writing box, but I, why is he, though? <laughs> Seems kind of silly, but okay. And despite them never like not knowing who each other was, they're basically side by side and holding themselves with stiff reticence. And they're trying to pay attention to the Salmistress' progress toward the stern deck and also look at Elaine and Nynaeve, not certain, you know, what's going on, despite having this mask of... A show of confidence. Tom grinned and stroked his long white mustaches and nodded every time he looked up at the two of them. And Sandar made a solemn, self-assured bow. And then Coyne comes over and is like, He's not damaged. I can sail within the hour if it pleases you. Well, within, if a tyrant pilot can be found. I will sail without him, if not, though it means never returning to Tyr. Which, I mean, I'm sure Rand could figure that out. Um... But, you know, whatever. Then she's like, they asked for passage, referring to Tom and Jillian. And it's like, Tom, the gleeman to Tanchico, and the thief catcher to wherever you travel. I cannot refuse them, but she's like, I will do so if you ask. And her dark eyes were looking at Elaine and Nynaeve. But she's reluctant because she doesn't want to break the custom that they've had for forever, but also to desire to help them, to serve the core more. And it's like, the thief catcher is a good man, even considering that he's a shorebound. No offense to you, under the light. The gleeman, I don't know, but gleeman can enliven a voyage and lighten tired hours. And Nynaeve's like, oh, you know of Master Sandar. He's like, twice he has found those who pilfered from us and found them quickly. Another shoreman would have taken longer, so he might ask more for the work. It is obvious that you know him as well. Do you wish me to refuse passage? And she's still reluctant to do so. And he's like, all right, let's see why they're here first. But her voice did not bode well for either of the men. <laughs> and Elaine's like, perhaps I should do the talking. Gently but firmly. That way you can watch to see if they're hiding anything. She didn't really say it the way that Nynaeve's temper would get the better of her, but the wry smile the other woman gave her said she had heard it anyway. It's like, fine, Elaine, I'll watch them. Perhaps you might study how I keep calm. You know how you are when you become overwrought. And Elaine just laughed. 
<laughs> it's like, I got a life too, because that's literally not even a nutshell. So as they approach the two men, they straighten, and the crew around them is just going around swarming into the rigging, hauling ropes, lashing stuff down, etc. Doing what you would do as a crew. But the four shore people just were staying there, and everybody going around them without a glance. Elaine frowns at Tom Marilyn, thinking about it. She was sure she had never seen the Gleeman before his appearance in the stone, yet even then she had been struck by something familiar about him. Not that that was likely. Gleeman were village performers in the main. Her mother had certainly never had one at the palace in Camelin. The only Gleeman Elaine could ever remember seeing had been in the villages near her mother's country estates, and this white-haired hawk of a man had surely never been there. So she decided to speak to the thief-catcher first. He insisted on that, that he was a thief. Basically, a thief-taker anywhere else was a thief-catcher in Tyr. But the distinction seems to be important to him for some reason. And she's like, oh, Master Sandar, you may not remember me, but I am Elaine Tracan. This is my friend, Nani Valmira. I understand you wish to travel to the same destination as us. Might I ask why? The last time we saw you, you hadn't really served us very well. But Julia and Sandar didn't blink at the suggestion he might not remember them. His eyes flickered across their hands, noting the absence of rings. The dark eyes noted everything and recorded it indelibly. I do remember, Mistress Tracand, and well, but if you will forgive me, the last time I served you was in the company of Matt Cawthon when we pulled both of you out of the water before the silver pike could get you. Which, harumphing very loudly behind Elaine, is naive. But not loudly. It had been a cell. Not water. The Black Aja. Not Silver Pike. And again, this is the realism versus, you know, a parable. It's basically telling you the equivalent of what happened. Silver Pike in the water. Aes Sedai in a cell. That kind of a thing. But Nynaeve didn't like to be reminded that they had needed help. But they wouldn't have been in that cell without Julian Sandar, but that's not really fair because... It's true, but not fair, because he didn't have a choice. And Elaine's like, well, that's very well, but you still haven't decided why you wanted to go to Tanchico. He draws a deep breath and eyes naive warily. And Elaine's not sure she liked him being more careful of the other woman than her. It's like, I was rousted out of my house no more than a half an hour gone. By a man you know, I think, responding carefully. A tall, stone-faced man calling himself Lan, and Nynaeve's eyebrows shoot up a little bit. He came on behalf of another man you know, a shepherd, I was told. I was given quite a quantity of gold and told to accompany you, both of you. And I was told that if you do not return safely from this journey, well, let's just say it's better to drown myself than come back. Lan was emphatic, and the shepherd no less in his message. But the sailor mistress tells me I cannot have passage unless you agree. I am not without certain skills that can be useful. And then he swirls his little staff in his hands and whistling blur, and it was still. His finger touched the sword breaker on his hip, and like a short sword, but unsharpened, and it slots meant to catch a blade. And then he was like, men will always find ways to get around what you tell them to do. But she doesn't sound completely unpleased. Nynaeve's, or Nynaeve's happy that Lan's looking after her, despite him not being able to come. He's finding a way for somebody else to come in his stead, and she kind of likes that. 
But Elaine kind of frowns vexedly because Rand had sent him. He must not have read the second letter before he did. Burn him! Why does he leap about? No time to send another letter. It would probably only confuse him more than if I did. And make me look a bigger fool. Burn him! And it's like, well, you could just stop writing letters and solve the problem right there. Because in one letter, you're like, you're... This we're gonna make this work. The other letter is like, oh, don't do this. Like, oh, like I mean, she sends two conflicting letters and expects it to make sense when obviously to any normal person, even extraordinary person, would be looking at this like, what in the world is going on? But then Nynaeve's like, well, what about you, Master Marilyn? Did the shepherd send a gleeman after us too, or the other man, to keep us amused with your juggling and fire eating, perhaps? But Tom had been scrutinizing Sander closely, but he shifts his attention smoothly and made an elegant bow. But it was slightly spoiled by a too elaborate flourish of that overpatched covered cloak. Oh, not the shepherd, Mistress Almira. A lady of our mutual acquaintance asked, asked me to accompany you. The lady who found you in the shepherd in Emmons Field. And he's like, why? And he's like, well, I also have these useful skills. Looking at a glance at the thief catcher. Other than juggling, really. I have been to Tanchico several times. I know the city well. And I can tell you where to find a good inn, what districts are dangerous in daylight, and as well as after dark, and who must be bribed so the Civil Watch does not take too close an interest in your doings. They are keen on watching Outlanders. I can help you with a good many things. But then Elaine has this familiarity trickling in her mind. Before she realized what she was doing, she reached up and tugged at one of his long white mustaches. He gives a start, and she clapped both hands to her mouth, blushing crimson. He's like, oh, for I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I seem to remember doing that before. I just, oh, forgive me. I'm so sorry. And she's like, wait, why did I do that? He must think I'm an imbecile. And he's like, I would remember, kind of stiffly. But she hoped he was not affronted, but it was hard to tell from his expression. And then, of course, the classic women's perspective. Men could be offended when they should be amused, and amused when they shouldn't. They should be offended. But if they're going to be traveling together, well, this is the first time she realized that she had decided they could come. And she's like, "What do you think, Nanive?" And Nanive's like, "Well, they can come as long as they agree to do as they're told. I'll not have some wool-brained man going his own way and endangering us." Sanders like, "As you command, Mister Salmira." And Tom's like, "Well, a gleeman is a free soul, Nanive, but I can promise you, I will not endanger you. Far from it." And she's like, as you are told, your word on it, or you will watch this ship sail from the dock. And she's like, the Athan Mir, do not re refuse passage to anybody, Nynaeve. So do you think not? Was the thief taker, Sandar winced, the only one he told he needed our permission? As you are told, Master Marilyn. And Tom tossed his white head like a fractious horse, <laughs> fractious horse and breathed heavily, but was like, my word on it, Mistress Almira. And very well, said Miss Nynaeve. It's settled. You go find the sale mistress and tell her that I said to find you a pair of cubbyholes somewhere if she can, out of our way. Off with you, quickly. Sandar bowed and left, and Tom quivered visibly before joining, a little stiff-backed. And Elaine's like, eh, aren't you being a little hard on them? We do have to travel together, after all. You know, smooth words make smooth companions, which is a fair saying. It's like, oh, best best to begin as we mean to go on, Elaine. Tom Marilyn knows very well we are not full Aes Sedai. But she lowered her voice and glanced around when she said it. None of the crew was even looking at them, except for the sound mistress. It's like, men talk. They always do. So Sandar will know it soon enough as well. 
They'd present no trouble to Aes Sedai, but to accept it? Well, given half the chance, they'd be doing things they thought was be for the best no matter what we said. I did not mean to give them even half a chance. Like, well, maybe. Do you think they know why we were going to Tanchico? No, they'd not be so sanguine, I think. But I'd rather not tell them until we have to. But here's a saying. Borrow trouble and you repay tenfold. I mean, technically, it's not wrong either. It's like, well, you speak like you don't trust him, Nynaeve. She's like, well, can we? Julian Sandar betrayed us already once. And yeah, I know. No man could have avoided it, but there it is just the same. It's like, well, no man could avoid it. Did he really betray you? Or was he forced? Oh, he, he was he was just tortured. It's not he could have easily just said no and died, you know, that that's a valid a valid way out. But Leandre and the other knew his face. We'll have to put him in different clothes, maybe make his hair grow longer, maybe a mustache, like that thing infesting the Gleeman's face. And Elaine's like, Tom Marilyn, I think we can trust him. I don't know why, but I do. Well Nanny's like well see the thing is Nanny already knows who Tom Marilyn is. She's traveled with them since literally they left the two... Well, she didn't leave with them the two rivers, but she caught up to them in Barillon, and from Barillon on has experience with Tom Marilyn for the most part, so it's not like they don't know each other at all. She's like, well, he admits being sent by Moraine, but what has he not admitted? What, she, what did she tell him that he hasn't told us? Is he meaning to help us or something else? Moraine has her own game to play, and I trust her... Just this much more than I do, Leandra. And she puts her thumb and her forefinger half an inch apart. She'll try to use us, you and me, and use us up if it helps Rand, or rather if it helps whatever she has planned for Rand, and she would lease him, leash him for a lapdog if she could. And Elaine, surprisingly, kind of claps back with, you know, Moraine knows what has to be done, Nynaeve. She doesn't want to admit it, but Moraine did know what had to be done. She's older and more experienced than actual Aes Sedai, etc. She's like, he has, she, she's trying to get him on his way to Tarman Gaida in the last battle much faster and knows what has to be done to get him there. Towards his death, maybe, but Rand balanced against the world and it was silly, foolish, and childish, but the scales should tremble so evenly for her. But she did not dare make them swing, even in her mind, because she was not sure which way she would send them. Well, Moraine knows better than she does better than we, or Moraine knows it better than he does, Rand, than we do. And I was like, oh, I don't have to like it, but yeah, I suppose. So the ship, you know, gets cast, and there's a big description of the ship, which if you want to get that description, feel free to just read the chapter, which I expect you to be doing anyway. Um, but the sea folk handle their ship as a master horseman would a fine steed. Which is a very important feature because there's lots of sailors, there's lots of captains, there's lots of crews, and they all more or less take care of their own as best as they can for the most part. I mean, there's obviously going to be exceptions to that rule, but the sea folk are on a different level. Like, there's horsemen and there's master horsemen, there's crews with captains, and then there's like the sea folk master sailors like they're 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 a different tier a different level granted they might not do as well on a ship that is not one of their typical ships for example the the ones that don't have the standard or the, the ones that have standard rudders as opposed to their 
described as a wheel that turns, which is what we would see as like a typical, I'm not really sure what it's called, a, ru a rudder wheel, I guess. Um, I'm not a ship person. I don't know enough. Uh, the spoked wheel, I guess. But if they're on something else, they might not be as efficient or as quick. They might not have, they, they got the dimensions. It's been thousands of years. They finally got it down pat, like how to move really, really fast, how to do what they needed to do, blah, 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 all those kind of things. But, um, so they see that peculiar spoked wheel working the rudder and one of the bare chested crewmen turning it. And she was relieved to see it was a man. I don't know why, but she is. I'm imagining it's, she's worried if it's a woman, she's going to have her top off here once they're outside of land <laughs> or something of that nature. But Koine's uh, issuing her occasional orders, sometimes a murmured consultation with her sister. Torim watched for a bit, but his face might have been carved from a deck plank, then stalked below. There was a tyrant on the stern deck, a plump, dejected-looking man in a dull yellow coat with puffy gray sleeves, rubbing his hands nervously. He basically was hustled on board as the gangway was pulled up. A pilot who was supposed to guide Wave Dancer downriver, according to Tyron Law, no ship could pass through the fingers of the dragon without a Tyron pilot aboard. But his dejection obviously came from doing nothing, because if he gave any directions, the sea folk just ignored him. And that's the kind of thing they're like, oh, the pilot has to be on your ship, or you can't, you know, come through. I don't know why this is. I'm assuming it's because if people don't have a Tyron pirate, pirate, <laughs> pilot. There could be accidents like a ship hitting something and then locking up part of it and reduces the flow of traffic between the areas and thus being bad for business is my assumption because it's the only thing that logically makes sense. And while the sea folk could do it, they're not allowed to come back if they uh, kind of screw up in that area. So... It's one of those things where you got to fit your priorities, I guess, would be the easiest way to say it. And that's why when she was saying earlier, uh, Coiny was, was like, well, I, I will, you know, leave without uh, a Tyron pilot if, you know, you want me to, but it will mean we can't come back to Tyr. But they managed to find one, so it's all good. Nynaeve went down below, but wanted to see what their cabin was like. But Elaine was enjoying the breeze at the deck and feeling starting out. And I was like, honestly, I would love to try that. Get a, a ship that's more of a sail ship rather than a motorized ship and then just feel the wind pick up and then the ship kind of splashing across the waves and ripping across the water and seeing like fish and all the cool stuff, waves and everything. It'd be kind of a cool scene to see. Pun intended. But uh, who knows if I'll ever actually get the opportunity to do that. <laughs> um, and surprisingly, those sh older like Renaissance and pirate ships and stuff were quite small comparative to more modern ships. But they start going past all these areas 
not really any villages. The High Lords control the size of villages and towns throughout the country with the building stack that grew heavier the more buildings that was there. So Elaine was sure that they would never allow Godan to thrive, and Godan being um, a city on the Bay of Ramara, if not supposed necessity of a strong presence overlooking Mayen. In a way, it was a relief to leave such foolish people behind, but, yeah. She didn't have to leave one foolish man behind as well. That's what she wish she didn't have to do. So basically, the High Lords are like, we don't want any place to get too big, which I think is absolutely silly, because the bigger they are, the more prosperous they can be, and the more prosperous they can be, the more taxes you get, the more taxes you get. The more money you have, and the more power and wealth you have, like, things you expect. But apparently the Tyrants, High Lords, because they're so... Ah, how do you say? Um, very... They are very concerned, I guess is the best word, about people rising up against them or something. Because they always talk about, like, oh, people rise up for rebellions all the time, and the defenders put them back in order. And it's like, I wonder why you have so many rebellions. <laughs> but of course, being high lords, they don't care, because their guys are going to win, because they have the defenders who are going to protect them and take everybody else out. But here's the thing. With bigger cities it's harder for them they'd have to like lay siege to bigger cities in order to make them fall which takes supply supply lines lots of wealth you have to fund your military for a long period of time for the full massing of it and everything a whole bunch of stuff like that and it's like well if you took care of your people and you didn't oppress them you might find that they're not going to be as annoyed with your existence to say the least but yeah, um, that's kind of what went on. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's probably why everything is going on that way with the people. So they start making this way through the maze of waterways called the Fingers of the Dragon. It's, it's a delta, basically. Um, river delta. And I, it looks very much similar to like the, the Nile delta in Egyptian territories. But... They saw some boats working in the reeds, but not using nets. Men and women dropped hook lines into the watery growth, pulling up wriggling, dark-striped fish as long as a man's arm. Again, people not in this area are not as familiar with the style of fishing, because normally fishing is done with large nets, and you can catch large amounts of fish and whatnot. But in this area, they're using fishing poles, which are not so common in the area of Randland. Because this is something that Elaine's not seen. They have fishing in Andor. It's not like fish don't exist. It's not like they don't have a river. It's just they're not familiar with it. So there you go. But there you go. But once they get into the Delta, the Tyran pilot is kind of pacing anxiously. And avoiding uh, any food of thick, spicy fish stew and bread. But Elaine ate hers all the way down. But shared just kind of unease because the passages broad and narrow ran in every direction. Some ended abruptly in plain sight against a wall of reeds. There's no way to tell which of the others might not vanish, but suddenly around the next bend. But Coyne didn't slow wave dancer regardless. Or hesitate in choosing a way. Obviously she knew the channels to take, or the windfinder did. But the pilot still muttered to himself as he expected to run aground any moment. 
but it was late afternoon when the river mouth just broke open and the endless stretch of the sea of storms was beyond it. The sea folk did something with the sails and the ship shuddered softly to a dead halt. And it was suddenly then Elaine noticed a large rowboat skittering like a many-legged water bug out from an island where a few forlorn stone buildings just stood around the base of a tall, narrow tower. We'd call that a uh, uh, lighthouse, I guess, would be the universal term, but lamp house, probably more what they would call it. Uh, where men stood at the tall beneath the banner of Tyr, the three white crescents on a field of red and gold. The pilot took a small purse that Coin offered without a word, scrambled down the rope ladder into the boat, and as soon as he was aboard, the sail swung out again, and wave dancers just poofed across the ocean, just like took off. Slices through the water. And the sea folk scampered about rigging and setting more sails and sped south and west away from land. The last thin strip of land dropped below the horizon. Sea folk women doffed their blouses, all of them, even the sailmistress and the windfinder. And Elaine didn't know where to look. All of those women walking around half dressed and completely unconcerned by the men around them. And we'll get to this next part where she kind of points out. And it's one of the things I find interesting because a lot of people re reading books about variety of sci-fi or fantasy or different timelines, even in historical documents, they all get like concerned based upon whatever time period they are currently in themselves. And even Elaine's like different customs, as long as they don't expect me to do the same, which is fair. But for a lot of people, they don't see it that way. They think the people shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that or whatever. And it's just like, there are different people that have different ideas of how things work and they're comfortable. So people keep that in mind because there's a lot of things in this series that you may or may not agree with. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to like them. You don't have to not like them. It's just, it exists. That's how they are. I don't know what to tell you, but the sky grows purple with a dull golden sun on the horizon. They see a bunch of dolphins escorting their vehicle, rolling and arching alongside. And then they saw a sparkling silver-blue fish rising up at the surface and schools. They saw a span for 50 paces or more before plunging back into the water. And Elaine's just fascinated by this. But the dolphins, great sleek shapes, were wondrous enough, a guard of honor taking Wave Dancer back where he belonged. Though she recognized from descriptions in books. I'm like, couldn't you just ask the crew? <laughs> But it was said as that they found you drowning, they would push you to shore. But she was not sure if she believed it, but it was a pretty story. She followed them along the side of the ship to the bow. Or bow. I'm not sure if it's bow or bow. Uh, where they frolicked in the bow wave. Bow wave. Probably a bow. Rolling on their sides to look up at her without losing an inch. But she kind of moves to the narrowest point of the bow before she realizes Tom Marilyn was there before her, smiling down at the dolphins a bit sadly. And his cloak was catching the wind like the cloud of sails, and he had rid himself of his belongings. But he, he, she can't help but think that he does seem to be familiar. She's like, are you not happy, Master Marilyn? And he looks at her a little bit and says, well, please call me Tom, my lady. It's like, all right, Tom, but not my lady. I'm just Mistress Tracand here. As you say, Mistress Tricand, Mistress Tricand, said that two times fast. He has a bit of a hint of a smile there. And like, How can you look at these dolphins and be unhappy? 
Let's go. They're free. They have no decisions to make, no prices to pay, not a worry in the world except finding fish to eat. And sharks, I suppose. And lionfish. And likely a hundred more things I don't know. Perhaps it is not such an enviable life after that. But she wasn't sure if he was talking to her, like answering her question, or if he's talking to himself because of the tone he took. And she's like, well, do you envy them? But he doesn't answer. And she's trying to get him to talk, make him laugh, and she can remember where he'd seen him before. He's like, well, do you mean to compose the Epic of Rand, Tom? And epics were for bards, not gleemen, but there could be no harm in a little flattery. <laughs> Does she know? The Epic of the Dragon Reborn. Loyal means to write a book, you know. It's like, well, maybe I will, Mr. Strickland. Maybe. But neither my composing nor the Ogier's book will make much difference in the long run. Our stories will not survive in the long run. When the next age comes, come to think of it, that might not be more than a year or two off. How is the end of an age marked? It cannot always be a cataclysm on the order of the breaking. But then, if the prophecies are to be believed, this one will be. That's the trouble with prophecy. The original is always in the old tongue. And maybe high chant as well, if you don't know what a thing means beforehand. There's no way to puzzle it out. Does it mean what it says, or is it a flowery way of saying something entirely different? And she's like, you're talking about your epic? He's like, oh, I'm talking of change. My epic, if I compose it in Loyal's book, will be no more than a seed, if we are both lucky. Those who know the truth will die, and their grandchildren, their grandchildren's grandchildren will remember something different, and their grandchildren's grandchildren something else again. Two dozen generations, and you may be the hero of it. Not Rand. And she's like, oh, me? <laughs> it's like, well, maybe Matt or Lan or even myself. He grins at her with his weathered face becoming warm. Tom Marilyn, not a gleeman, but what? Who can say? Not eating fire, but breathing it, hurling it about like an Aes Sedai. He flourishes coat, his cloak. Tom Marilyn, the mysterious hero, toppling mountains and rising up kings. And his grin became a rich belly laugh. Randall Thor may be the lucky if the next age remember his name correctly. And she's like, oh, it's not just a feeling. The face, the mirth-filled laugh. He remembers some of them, but from where? She has to keep him talking. Does it always happen that way? I do not think anyone doubts, say, that Arthur Hawkwing conquered an empire. The whole world are near enough. It's like a Hawkwing, young mistress. He made an empire, all right, but do you think he did everything the books and stories and epics say he did the way he say he did it killed a hundred best men of an opposing army one by one the two armies just stood there while one of the generals a king fought at a hundred duels well the book say he did it's like there isn't time between sunrise and sunset for one man to fight a hundred duels girl and she almost stopped him short girl she was the daughter heir of andor not girl but he had the bit in his teeth I just find it funny because she's like, she's so offended that he, he said, girl, I'm like, okay, he's older than you by a lot. You are a girl to him. Even if you were like 40 and he was 80, you're still a girl to him because of the age difference. Anymore, and he'd probably call you child, but yeah. But it's like, there's 
this is only a thousand years back. Go back further, back to the oldest tales that are available that even I know from the ages before the Age of Legends. Did Mosk and Merc really fight with spears of fire? And were they even giants? Was Elsbeth really queen of the whole world? And was Anla really her sister? Was Anla truly the wise counselor? Or was it someone else? As well as ask what sort of animal ivory comes from, or what kind of plant grows silk, unless that comes from an animal too. Now, obviously some things we know, that silk comes from not plants. <laughs> we know it's come from animals per se in the grand scheme of things. We know that ivory comes from elephants. We know, you know, a little bit of here, there. Now, I looked into some of these about what they kind of meant. So, Mosque and Merc is uh, fighting with the spears of fire and being giants. was actually, I believe, related to the Cold War, where Moscow and America... <laughs> uh, so, Moscow and America fighting uh, with spears of fire, probably uh, missiles and that kind of stuff. And were they giants? Well, they were giant countries. They were the the big wigs at the time in terms of power. So that's that's the the term of what we know. But then there's also Elsbeth being queen of the whole world, being Elizabeth the is it Elizabeth the first? I need to remember. It's it's been a hot minute since I've uh, <laughs> actually had to look this type of stuff up. Ah, Queen Elizabeth the first. Yes. Um, and there's other. Refer references and stuff later on in the book that we can get to and whatnot. Um, I could not find anything about Anla, the wise counselor, being her sister or being an actual wise counselor. Um, I couldn't find anything about that. So if you do know, please let me know. I'd love to add that in for people. But until that point, that's what we got to work with. But Elaine's still a little annoyed that she was called girl, but she's like, I don't know about those other questions, but you could ask the sea folk about ivory and silk. But he laughs as she was hoping, but she's not still not sure where she knows it from. But instead of calling her foolish as she was expecting, he's like, well, practical and to the point, just like your mother. Both feet on the earth and few flights of fancy. And she lifts her chin a bit. Made her face cooler. She might be passing herself off as a simple Mistress Tracand, but this was something else. He was an amiable old man, and she didn't want to reason out the puzzle of him, but he's still a gleeman after all, and she should not he should not speak of queen a queen in such familiar tones. But inf oddly and infuriatingly, he appeared amused. And he's like, the Athan Mir do not know either. They see no more of the land beyond the Isle Waste than a few miles around the handful of harbors where they are permitted to land. Those places are walled high and walls guarded so they cannot even climb up to see what is on the other side. If one of their ships makes landfall anywhere else, or any ship not theirs, only the sea folk are allowed to come there, that ship and its crew are never seen again. That is almost as much as I can tell you after more years of asking than I'd like to think of. So, to point this out, on the other side of the Aiel Wastes, there are lands that only the Aiel and the Sea Folk would be familiar with, with the exception of some merchant groups, which we will cover in just a second. But even those interactions, whether it be on a, a trading city or a port somewhere, it's extremely limited. 
inter interactions. Like whoever they're trading with, which I mean I do know, but we'll find out later. Uh, wh whoever they're trading with is going to be very protective of, I guess, their privacy or whatever it might be, but still being open to you know trade. But the Othman Mir keep their secrets, but I don't believe they know much to keep here. From what I've been able to learn, the Kyrianan were treated the same when they still had the rights to travel the Silk Path across the Waste, which is kind of a reference to the Silk Road. But Kyrianan traders never saw anything but one walled town, and those who wandered from it vanished. They're very picky people. But Elaine's studying him just as much as he was the dolphins. He's like, what kind of guy is this? Twice now he might have laughed at her. He had been amused then, as much as he had to amuse it. But instead he talked to her seriously. He's like, well, you know, a daughter and a father. You might find a few answers on the ship, Tom. They were bound east until we convinced the sailmistress to take us to Tanchico. Tashara, the cargo master said, east of Mayen. That must mean beyond the waste. And he's like, hmm, Shara, you say? I've never heard of any such name before. Is Shara a city or a nation or both? Maybe I will learn more. She's like, what did I say? I said something to make him think. I told him to convince Koenig to change her plans. So she's now worried that she's giving away why they're going to what they're going to and everything. And Michaela's word to this nice old man might do no harm, but the same might kill her and Tanchico and Nynaeve too, not to mention the thief catcher and Tom himself, if he was such a nice old man. But she asks him, like, you know, why did you come with us, Tom? Just because Moraine asked? And his shoulders shook and he's laughing at himself. He's like, well, as to that, who can say? I said I asking favors are not easily resisted. Perhaps it was the prospect of your pleasant company for the voyage, or perhaps I decided Rand is old enough to look after himself for a while. And he laughs even more. And she decides to laugh with him. The idea of this white-haired old fellow looking after Rand. Well, again, she doesn't know much about him. Like we do, that's the viewer. The feeling that she could trust him came back, stronger than ever. And he looked, as he was looking at her, not because he could laugh at himself, or not only that, but because she had given a reason beyond the fact that, looking up into those blue eyes, she could make herself believe this man would ever do anything to harm her. The urge to pull one of his mustaches again was almost overwhelming, but she schooled her hands to stillness. She's not a child, after all. A child. She opens her mouth, but suddenly everything went over her head. Went out of her head. She's like, oh, please excuse me, Tom. I must... Excuse me. And she started toward the stern, quickly not waiting for a reply, but he probably thought the ship's motion had upset her stomach. Wave Dancer was pitching more rapidly, moving faster than the great sea swells as the wind freshened. The two men stood at the wheel of the stern deck. The muscle of both needed to hold the vessel on course. The sailmistress was not on deck, but the windfinder was, standing on the rail beyond the wheelmen, bare to the waist like the men, studying the sky where the billowing clouds rolled more fiercely than the ocean. But once, for once, it was not Joran's state of dress or undress that bothered Elaine. It was the glow of a woman embracing Sidar surrounding her, clearly visible despite the lurid light. That was what she had felt, what had drawn her. A woman channeling. 
Elaine stops short of the stern deck to study what she's doing. The flows of air and water that the windfinder handled were cable thick, yet her weaving was intricate, almost delicate. And it reached as far as the eye could see across the waters, a web drawn across the sky. The wind rose higher, higher. The wheelmen strained, and the wave dancer flew through the sea. But then the weaving stopped, and the glow of Sidar vanished, and Joran slumped to the rail, leaning on her hands. Elaine goes up the ladder, stairs, quickly, and the sea folk woman spoke in a soft voice without turning her head. It's like, well, in the middle as I worked, I thought you were watching me, and I could not stop then. There might have been a storm, even a wave dancer could not survive. The Sea of Storms is well named. It will throw up bad winds enough without my help. I meant not to do this at all, but Koine said we must go quickly. For you and for the Koromor. This wind will hold until morning, if it pleases the light. As she looks at the sky. So this is why the sea folk do not carry Aes Sedai, Elaine said. So the tower won't learn that windfinders can channel. That is why it is your decision to let us board, not your sister's. Joran, the tower will not try to stop you. There's no law in the tower to stop any woman from channeling, even if she's not Aes Sedai. But then Joran's like, here, let me give you a little truth. And say, your white tower will interfere. It will try to reach onto our ships, where we are free of the land and landsmen. It will try to tie us to itself, binding us away from the sea. Which is a true statement. But then she sighs. She's like, well... The wave that has passed cannot be called back. And I'm just waiting for Elaine to go, What do you mean? We don't have any waves that pass us. How would you call it back anyway? It's a wave. <sighs> she's a little dull-witted in a lot of areas. In other areas, she's actually pretty smart, but she's pretty dull-witted. And this, this is the funny part. This is when she's still nice and where you like her. Like You're like, oh, Elaine's not so bad. Trust me, it gets worse. But where other people use sayings and words with different meanings, but they essentially the same story, uh, they don't always understand. It's, it's, it's funny, but annoying at the same time. Elaine wants to tell her that it's not so, but the tower does seek out women and girls who could learn a channel to bolster their numbers and to keep the dwindling numbers that they now have compared to what they were. And because the danger of learning unguided... Obviously, it's not unguided if there's a lot of them that can do it. But in truth, a woman could be taught to touch the true source, usually found herself in the tower, whatever she wanted, at least until she was trained enough not to kill herself or others by accident. But then Joran goes on. It's like, well, it's not all of us, only some. We send a few girls to Tarvalon so Aes Sedai will not come looking among us. No ship will carry Aes Sedai whose windfinder can weave the winds. When you first named yourselves, I thought you must know me, but you did not speak. And you asked passage. And I hoped perhaps you were not Aes Sedai despite your rings. A foolish hope. I could feel the strength of both of you, and now the White Tower will know. And Elaine is kind of torn, and she knows the woman deserves a, a strong response. She's like, Oh, well, I can't promise to keep your secret, but I will do what I can. But then he's like, oh, well, actually, you know what? I swear by the honor of House Strakand of Andor that I will do my best to keep your secret from any who would harm you or your people, and that if I must reveal it to anyone, I will do all in my ability to protect your people from interference. House Strakan is not without influence, even in the tower. She's like, I'll make Mother use it if need be, somehow. I'm like, you can't guarantee that, but okay. 
But Joran's kind of fatalistic and is like, well, if it pleases the light, all will be well, all will be well, and all will be well. And all manner of things will be well if it pleases the light. But then Elaine brings up about the Shanshan ship that had tried to border them, board them. He's like, there was a demoni on that Shanshan ship, wasn't there? And she's quizzical, like, one of the captive women who could channel. And they're like, oh, you see deeply for one young, or one that's young. That is why I first thought you might not be Aes Sedai, because you are so young. I have daughters older than you, I think. I didn't know that she was a captive. Makes me wish we could have saved her. Wave Dancer outran the Shanshan vessel easily at first. We heard of the Shanshan and their vessels with ribbed sails, and that they demanded strange oaths and punished those who could not give them. But then the... Damane? Broke two of his masts, and they boarded him with swords. I managed to start fires on the Shanshan vessel, weaving fires difficult for me beyond lighting a lamp, but it pleased the light to make it enough. Torem led the crew to fight the Shanshan back to their own decks. We cut loose the boarding hooks, and their ship drifted away, burning. They were too occupied with trying to save him to bother us as we limped away. I regret seeing him burn and sink. He was a fine ship, I think, for heavy seas. Which is an important detail, because the Sean Chan are coming across long distances of heavy seas, as opposed to the sea folk, which kind of have some heavy seas, but they typically hold to the coastline for the most part. Then they kind of go between the mainland and their uh, island. So they can kind of maneuver a little bit easier. But. He's like I regret. Uh, I regret now because we might have saved the woman. The Mane. Even if she damaged him. Perhaps she would not have free. The light illumine her soul. And the waters take her peacefully. And I love the. It's almost like a flowery. Sayings. And the flowery words they use. I don't know why. But I just like it. Like, it's it's very poetic, it's very symbolic, it's very touching, I guess. But yeah, it's it's a nice little a nice little story. But um Yeah. So the story was saddening her, so Elaine tries to distract her. He's like, Well, why do the all the author on Mier call ships he? Everyone else I ever met calls him she. I don't make, I guess it doesn't make a difference, but why? But the Windfin is like, ah, well, the men will give you a different answer. She's kind of smiling about it. Speaking of strength and grandness and the like as men will, but this is the truth. A ship is alive, and he is like a man with a true man's heart. And she rubs the rail fondly, like stroking something alive, something that could feel her caress. Treat him well and care for him properly, and he will fight for you against the worst sea. He will fight to keep you alive even after the sea has long since given him his own death stroke. Neglect him, though, and ignore the small warnings he gives of danger, and he will drown you in a flat sea beneath a cloudless sky. <laughs> and Elaine's like, I hope Rand's not as fickle as that. And why does he hop about, glad to see me one minute, and sending Julian Sandar after me the next? And it's like, it's pretty obvious. He's glad to see you, but he also is in a pickle of being who he is and wants you to be away from him to be safe but also knows you have something to do that's dangerous so sends you assistance it's pretty simple cut and dry but again it's lane so all hope is lost but she tells herself to stop thinking about him because he's a long way away and there's nothing to do about it now but she looks over towards the bow and tom's gone but she was sure she had found the key to his puzzle but just before she had let felt the wind finders channeling but has to do with a smile but 
it's all gone now, whatever it was. Which of those of you who are paying attention so far in the book already know what it is. If you don't know, we'll get there. Don't worry. Well, she meant to find out before they reached Tanchico, but even if she had to sit on him. But he would still be there in the morning. And Jorin's like... Or Elaine asked Jorin how long they reached until they reached Tanchico. Because rakers are allegedly the fastest ships in the world, but how fast are they really going to go? And he's like, to Tanjiko, to serve the Kormor, we will not stop at the port between, or any port between. So about ten days, if I can weave the winds well enough, if it pleases the light, then I can find the proper currents. Perhaps as few as seven or eight, with the grace of the light. And Elaine's like, what, ten days? That's not possible. And she had seen maps. And the other woman's smile was half pride, half indulgence. It's like, well, as you, self said, as you yourself said, you know, the fastest ships in the world. The next quickest will take half again as long over any stretch and more than twice as long. Coasting craft that hug the shore and anchor in the shallows each night, <laughs> they get ten times as much. Which is why, like, the sea folk are the greatest traders around, because they can get from point A to point B really, really, really quickly and trade really, really, really well. They're also epic bargainers. And it's like, Joran, would you teach me to do what you were just doing with the wind? And she's like, teach you? Her, eye, her dark eyes wide, but shining in the fading light. It's like, but you are eyes to die. And she's like, Jorn, I have never woven a flow half as thick as those you were handling, and the scope of it. I'm astounded, Jorin. But the Windfinder stared a moment, no longer in amazement, but as if trying to fix Elaine's face in her mind. And this is a really cool thing, because it's kind of an agreement, but it's also a an acknowledgement. And she's finally, she kissed the fingers of her right hand, and press them to Elaine's lips. If it pleases the light, we both shall learn. So it's almost like a quid pro quo kind of thing, is what you'd assume it would be. But I would assume it's Elaine sharing what she knows in certain aspects, and the Windfinder sharing what she knows to teach her about those kind of things. And it might come into play later on. Who knows? That's the end of the chapter. Um, hopefully you guys found it entertaining, um, or I guess informative at the very least. I know sometimes the chapters can get a little dull and other times they can get really exciting and other times a little excessive with how much information they dump on you, but hopefully you're not overwhelmed this time. So if you guys would like to let me know what you thought, I'd appreciate hearing anything you guys have to say. Uh, fan mail, hate mail, all all the fun stuff. I enjoy all of it, so uh, feel free to reach out through Facebook, just Tales of Redarm, or on Twitter slash X at Tales of Redarm. And if you would like to reach out to me directly through my email, you can do so at Tales of Redarm at gmail dot com. I'd love to uh, hear what you guys think. Um, but yeah, also, if you would like to, uh, join the discord and help begin a small community that is pretty small, uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty small that just wants to talk about wheel of time, uh, think about things that you've just learned or you hear any other theories that you might come across and be like, Oh, I wonder what this is about. We can all chat about it. Um, you could do through voice chat or just text chat. Um, I'm on Discord every single day, so 
you uh, might get a chance to talk to me. I'd love to talk to you guys. Uh, also, getting more people in there means we can have more to talk about. And if you could share and let all your friends know about this podcast, that would be fantastic. Uh, I'd love to have more people talking about Wheel of Time. It's a fantastic series that I think everyone should read if they enjoy anything of the fantasy type. Or even if they just enjoy a very detailed book series. Because obviously this is a very, very detail-heavy book series. But yeah. Um, I think that's basically it. So uh, we got chapter 21 coming up for the next episode slash chapter. Uh, I hope you guys will join me for that one when we get to it. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day And on the girls we'll spend our pay And when we're done then we'll awake To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And snuggle the girls be they short or tall And follow young Matt wherever he goes To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And snuggle the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the maids it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark ones first To dance with Jack of the Shadows yeah. Yeah. Yeah.